right, Grace Church. I'm going to start out with prayer this morning. And uh, while I'm praying, you can turn to Malachi chapter 1. We're, being, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14 this morning. But if you would, join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we come to you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we get to worship you. It's uh, not a have to, it's a get to. And we are so grateful for that, Father. And we just are thankful for your provision, for your protection, and um, for your love towards us, Father. I pray that as we talk about unworthy worship and what worthy worship looks like, I pray that we would end today by giving you our best and by keeping you at the center of all things in our lives. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's really, really a pleasure to have you here with us this morning at Grace Church. And like I said, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14. And that's what we like to do at Grace. Uh, we actually like to do a lot of things. We do some topical sermons. Sometimes we'll do some character studies. And, and right now we're actually doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Malachi. And uh, today begins part two of our series called The Extraordinary Life. And this morning we find ourselves in, in Malachi chapter 1. And let me just remind you that Malachi was a prophet of God. He loved and he served the Lord. And he was strong and courageous enough to confront an entire nation of people. He tells them that they're wrong and that God is right. I know sometimes I have a hard time maybe standing up to one or two people, let alone an entire nation. Malachi says some hard things. He has some hard words. And his intention is to make soft hearts. And he's willing to bear the consequences of speaking the truth in love. Sometimes that's the most difficult thing we will ever experience in our life. And that is speaking the truth and making sure it's not done out of anger or malice or hatred, but it's done out of love. Malachi, inspired by God, could no longer stand by and watch these people just do a spiral out of control. He steps up and he says some hard things to this entire nation. In this little book of Malachi, God is speaking to people who are weak in their faith. People who are spiritually Uh, man, just spiritually going the wrong direction. People who doubted the love and the goodness of God. These people were not spiritually strong. They were spiritually weak. The future didn't look hopeful. The future looked hopeless. And these words that we're going to read in the book of Malachi, they were very timely for this nation, for this people at this time. And I, I believe they're very timely for us as well. Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. So if you're still looking for it, that's okay. All right, I'm not trying to embarrass you. But you can turn to the middle, find Matthew, and go back one chapter. Okay? And those people that were just chuckling now, they were laughing with you, not at you. The words of Malachi are impacting. They're tough. But they're spoken out of love. Between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, if you remember is 400 years of silence. God didn't speak. He didn't send a prophet. He didn't write another book of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For 400 years, there was silence from God. So I'd like for us to think of it this way. In Malachi, God the Father is gathering His children to plead with them, to call them to Himself, knowing that He wasn't going to talk to them again for 400 years. Last week, we saw that God started the conversation by saying, I love you. We talked about how would you start? You know, I asked the question, how would you start a conversation with a rebellious child? 
And I encourage you strongly to start by saying, I love you. May your children never doubt your love for them. God started the conversation by saying, I love you. I've always loved you. Malachi, which means messenger, he says to the people, he says, God is our Father. He's good. He loves you. And we talked about last week how critical this is to know that God loves you because we have a great enemy. And Satan is referred to as the accuser. And his plan is to accuse God. Yes, sometimes he accuses us, but I would say he accuses God most often. He accuses God over and over again. Satan loves to get us to think that everything that's going wrong in our life is God's fault. He tries to get us to blame God, and he, he, he constantly accuses God. He paints God in the wrong light. And part of the job of the prophets of the Old Testament, part of the job of the apostles in the New Testament, part of the job of a pastor in this day and age is to try to paint God in the right light to try to make sure we stay focused on the true and the living God. Malachi, the messenger of God, says, it's not God's fault, nation, people. It's not true. Whatever Satan is saying to you, it's not true. If only you knew how much you individually matter to God. Remember, God is the one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll walk through the problems with you. Malachi says, God loves you. He's always loved you. He's good. And He wants you to live an extraordinary life. Never forget that, church. Never. No matter what Satan says to you, no matter what your feelings say, Always know that God loves you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. And I love this statement right here. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May we know how much God truly loves you. Today, Malachi says some hard things to the people. And he points out to a group of people who were full of religious activity. Alright? This is timely for us in our nation, in our day. People full of religious activity. The people that Malachi was speaking to were full of religious busyness. But you know what? Their worship to God was worthless. God didn't receive any of the worship that they were giving to Him. As a matter of fact, He was rejecting their acts of worship. As I believe, God is probably rejecting much of the worship that's taking place in our country today. Malachi says, yes, listen, God loves you. That's how he started the conversation. He has always loved you, but he's still God. Don't forget that. You had better give him the respect that he deserves. Malachi is getting ready to confront a people who were not giving God the reverence, the respect he deserves. Let's read Malachi chapter 1. 
And uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 14. I'm going to interject a few things here and there, but we're going to read through the whole uh, text this morning. It begins in verse 6. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests. Okay, Malachi was addressing the spiritual leadership of his day, and the leadership was very ungodly. Let me just say, if if you have ungodly leadership in the church, especially in the church, you've already lost. Okay? Leadership is critical. Leadership is key. Leadership is critical to a powerful movement of God. But let me show you something before you check out of the message. Because I know some of you are like, sweet, I'm not a leader, I'm not a pastor. This is for Keith and Chris, this message right here. (laughs) Pay attention, Keith and Chris. So before you check out, let me just remind us of a couple things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in the last part of verse 9, it says, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are declared priests. Okay, we believe here at Grace Church in what's called the priesthood of the believers. You, it says, are, a ro- are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. We believe in the priesthood of believers because of Jesus Christ. This message isn't just for the pastors, isn't just for the elders of Grace Church. It's for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I would highly recommend that you really pay attention, okay? So don't check out this morning, because this message just might be for you. So let's keep reading. Malachi says, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. Malachi begins by just saying something that was very commonly understood in this day. Everyone understood that a son was supposed to respect his father, and that uh, a servant was supposed to respect his master, or an employee was supposed to respect his boss. Everyone in this day understood that you need to respect your dad. You need to respect your boss. He goes on, If I, speaking of God, if I am your father and master, where is the honor and respect I deserve. Like he just begins throwing punches right here. You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Okay, now here's where Malachi is going to start listing some of the acts of worship, some of the religious deeds that God considers to be worthless. Verse 7, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defiled them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Okay, let me just give a little explanation here. In the Old Testament, people knew that they had to bring animal sacrifices to the sanctuary for their worship. Uh, It was an animal for a sin offering, another animal for a burnt offering, and a third animal for a peace offering. So three animals for their family group every time they came to the temple to worship. This was the Old Testament instruction from the Lord. Now, 
These people were ranchers. These people were farmers. They, they made their living off of raising animals, so that could get pretty expensive over time because that was their livelihood. So to save some money, they decided to get really creative. Instead of bringing God the first, instead of bringing God the best animals, they brought animals that were diseased, crippled, blind, worthless Animals that they couldn't sell or use. Maybe it was a dead lamb that they found on the back 40 of the property, right? That had been kind of half eaten by a wolf. They would bring that half-eaten lamb and sacrifice it to God. They brought these worthless animals and they offered them to the, to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. After all, God was just going to burn them up anyways, Right? This was a, a very practical thing to do, so they thought. Like, we can fulfill the ritual, we can get our religious check mark, and get rid of the crummy livestock at the same time. This is brilliant. Malachi goes on. He says, Man, this is, the Bible's just so logical, it's just common sense. He says, Try giving gifts like that to your governor. And see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I will not accept your offerings. They're worthless. But my name is, it's not will be, it's not might be, or should be, is. My name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 12, But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying... It's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard. It's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Woo! We could just close in prayer right there, Father God. Okay. Man, what does this have to do with us today? You know, Malachi begins by saying that unworthy worship, worship that God considers worthless, is when you worship Him with no respect or reverence for who He is. You disrespect the Lord when you just go through the motions. When your worship isn't from your heart. When you come and you just simply play church because you're trying to just get that check mark and you want to make sure everybody knows that you're religious. God is disgusted with that. Let me, just, let me just ask you, let's get to the core of the matter, but are you impressed 
with God? Are you in awe of who He is and His power and His might and what He's done, what He's currently doing, and what He's going to do? Are you in awe of who He is? Unworthy worship is when you worship the Lord with contempt towards Him in your heart. Like, man, I, uh, I really don't want to be here. Everyone agrees that actions speak louder than words, so why doesn't that apply to our worship of God? Some of us have the weirdest motivations as to why we come to church. I had one guy tell me that he was told to come to church so that he could make better business connections. Who told you that? Satan? Church should be a place you come to worship God. To draw close to God. To hear from God. To pray to God. Not to simply make better business connections. Malachi is asking the question to this entire nation of people. He says, do you even like God? Do you have contempt in, in your heart towards Him? If so... You need to start there. You need to deal with that. You need to get that right. I don't want you I don't want you to go down life's lane and just fake religious deeds. No, man, it, it'd be better to go fishing, okay? Deal with that first. Worthless worthless worship is also when you offer defiled sacrifices to the Lord. God is the king of kings. He's the boss of all your bosses, and He doesn't want leftovers. He wants your best. When the Israelites came to worship, they were to bring the best animals from their flocks, the first fruits from their fields, and whatever other gifts of gratitude they wanted to give to the Lord. God didn't need the food to survive. Israel was to bring the offerings to God not because He needed them, but as an expression of the Israelites' need for God. To refuse to offer the gifts to God was to say that God wasn't necessary for their success, for their future, for their welfare. When in fact, without Him, they... When in fact, without Him, we cannot survive. Here in Malachi, they're giving God crippled sheep and rotten food. Defiled sacrifices. Giving God the scraps from their table. So I just want to ask the question, what does a defiled sacrifice look like in our day and age? Before I answer that, it's important for us to understand that the sacrifices have changed. Okay, In the Old Testament people of God brought their sacrifices to the temple. And in the New Testament, we are to be living sacrifices. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly 
the way, read those last two words with me, to worship Him. That's true worship right there. God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you myself. So what does a defiled sacrifice look like in our day? Consider your calendar. Okay, let me, let me ask you, are you giving God the leftovers of your calendar? Does God even show up on your calendar? Church, what would happen if we tithed our time to the Lord? Wouldn't that be awesome if each of us tithed our time to the Lord? What if each of us gave 16.8 hours of the week to the Lord? Yes, you can count church towards your hours. Yes, you can even count small group. Okay, uh, man, you're getting all technical already. Calm down. <laughs> what if most of those 16 hours were given to serve your neighbors, to serve our community in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you give God the first priority when it comes to your calendar? Or does He get your leftovers? What about your money? Do you give to God after you've paid all the bills? Do you give to God what's left over at the end of the week? Is, is He the last one you think about? The last one you give to? Maybe you just give to Him what's left over in your wallet on Sunday just so you can feel better about yourself. Maybe what you give to God can't even buy a crippled sheep. Maybe what you give couldn't even buy a blind, deaf, dumb, crippled sheep. <laughs> if so, God is saying, you know what? We have offering boxes in the lobby. Like, keep the five dollars. Just stuff a rotten banana in that offering box. Like, we can do more with that probably than, than, than what you're giving if you're giving God your leftovers. I think a lot of us, you know, it's, it's this mentality of we just, we want to, I don't know what it is, man. We want to get the check mark on our to-do list. We did our religious duty. Like, here you go, God. You know, here's the leftovers. I really love you, though. Um, it's unacceptable. You know, we, we just can't really do much with the leftovers. But cool, you know, at least you gave, right? You got the check mark. Malachi raises the bar. It's like if you wrote me a check for five bucks, and I know five bucks is awesome if that's what your best is. Okay? Remember the widow's might. She gave everything she had, and it was less than a penny, and God said, she's given more than anybody. So I'm not saying it's the quantity, it's the quality. It's what's in your heart. It's why you're doing it. And if you're giving five bucks and that is like a true act of worship to God, man, He receives that and that is acceptable worship. But if you're giving Him the scraps from your table, He's not a dog. He's God. Unworthy worship is when you give God something that costs you nothing. 
The famous words from King David the warrior were this, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Samuel, 1 Samuel 24, 24. Malachi, he takes it one step further and he says, if you gave the gifts that you're giving to God, your acts of worship, if you gave the gifts you're giving to God to your governor, he would probably reject them. I call this the John Hickenlooper effect. Okay? The governor of Colorado. Everybody say Hickenlooper. What a name. Let's just kind of travel this lane, okay? If, if John Hickenlooper personally invited you to the governor's mansion up in Denver, you would probably go, first of all. And you would probably make sure that you look nice. You'd probably take some selfies to let the world know, I'm at the governor's mansion in Denver, Colorado. I don't personally know old Hickenlooper. But I bet God is just a little bit cooler, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more amazing than He is. Malachi says, why would you treat Hickenlooper better than God? Did you know that God has personally invited you to His mansion? You're going to give your best to Hickenlooper? I just like saying I'm going to say it some more. You're going to give your best to Hickenlooper? Hickenlooper? And toss God a rotten banana? Man, doesn't it make sense? Let me, t- let me give you two ways to guarantee your worship will always be worthless. This comes from the very lips of Jesus Christ Himself. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, He says, These people honor Me with their lips, blah, 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 talk it up, talk it up, but their hearts are far from Me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. First of all, to make sure your worship is worthless, make sure your heart isn't in it. I mean, talk a good talk, but don't walk the walk. That will guarantee your place in the worship hall of shame. Secondly, follow your own ideas rather than God's ideas. Here's what you do, okay? Think that you know more than God. Step one. Start there. Step two, believe that you're better than God. And step three, believe to the core of your being that man-made ideas are better than God's ideas. That will get you VIP parking at the Worship Hall of Shame. Offering God unworthy worship is the best way to just wear yourself out. To get worn out in your service to the Lord. Man, when your heart is not in it, in church, I have to confess, there's been times my heart hasn't been in it. There's been times where I didn't want to be here. 
There's been times, sad to say, I've gone through the motions. And you know what? Those were some of the hardest times in my ministry. Those were some of the times I wanted to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. I was worn out because I was faking it. I was just going through the motions. There's actually two ways to become weary in serving the Lord. And one way is unholy, one way is holy. The first way to become weary in your service to the Lord is to just go through the motions. Mindlessly, heartlessly, and passionlessly worship the Lord and serve Him. Man, that will wear you out faster than anything else. The second way to become weary in your service to the Lord, and this is a very holy way to wear yourself out, is to intentionally pour yourself out. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give intentionally. Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice. I've never been to a sacrifice. That's kind of weird, right? I've just never seen that. But a sacrifice is something that is dead. It's being consumed. It's being used up. It's the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. There's no better way to serve the Lord than to be a living sacrifice for His glory, for His honor. So so how do we worship God in a worthy way? We looked at unworthy ways to worship the Lord, but how does being a living sacrifice look? How does it look practically How do we do this? First of all, my encouragement to you, church, is to be authentic. To be real. Be genuine. Be honest. Be sincere. Okay, Because God doesn't want a fake. He wants you to be genuine. He doesn't want you to be fake. He doesn't want you to be plastic. He doesn't want you just going through the motion of worship. Malachi says, if you're going to be fake, I would rather you... Go through the motions. If you're going to be fake, if we're going to go through the motions, I totally messed that up. Malachi says, if we're going to be fake, if we're going to go through the motions, I'd rather you close the doors to the church. There we go. That sounds better. If we're going to just be plastic, we're going to just go through the motions, like let's just close up shop. Let's put a for sale sign in the window. Because the worship taking place in this building would be worthless. God can see your heart, so stop trying to fake Him out. He wants you to be real with Him. Secondly, to worship God in a worthy way, you've got to give Him your best. Let me just say, God isn't a thrift store. He doesn't accept second-hand, used, broken, cleaning-out-the-attic worship. He doesn't accept that. He's the King of all kings, and He deserves nothing but the best. The best of your time, the best of your creativity, the best of your strength, the best of your money, the best of your service, the best of your devotion, the best of your love. 
He shouldn't be an afterthought, but rather He should be the center of all your thoughts. You say you love Jesus, but what does your worship look like? What, what are you offering to Him? Hey man, I come to church every Sunday. Eh. Worthless. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but what I am trying to do is to help you realize that everything you do needs to be done to the glory of God. Like this time right here that we're having right now is just a tiny, tiny part of it. And what are you doing the rest of the week? What are you doing at work to bring glory to God? What are you doing with your spouse, with your children? What are you doing with your health to bring glory to God? What are you doing with your personal devotions? You know, everything we do should be done to the glory of God. Would He accept your worship? Or are you offering Him rotten bananas and half-eaten crippled sheep? Greasy mutton. It's just nasty. That's, is that your worship? Thirdly, to worship God in a way He will accept, we need to realize that reconciliation comes before worship. Matthew 5, 23-24 says this, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, verse 24, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I don't know if you noticed it. Do you see it right there? God is more interested in the motivation behind the sacrifice than He is in the sacrifice itself. He's more interested in your heart. He wants you to be right with Him, and He wants you to be right with mankind. And lastly, to worship God in a worthy way is to show Him the respect that He deserves. Yes, God is our Father. Yes, the Bible refers to Him as being our friend. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. But may we never forget that He's God. The moment we disrespect Him, the moment we disrespect His Word, our worship becomes worthless. I know right now, you may be thinking to yourself, because I've thought these thoughts as well, like, man, this is kind of a long checklist. Like all this worship God properly stuff, you know, it seems kind of confusing. I mean, what's the deal? Like with all the animal sacrifices, it just it seems kind of like a cult, you know, it's weird. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, you may have heard that the animal sacrifice was for atonement. It had to be a perfect spotless animal that would be offered because it was the best it was the first. The animal presented, uh, represented God's provision for the sins of the worshiper. It had to be without blemish, perfect, because God is perfect without any blemish, without any flaw. Maybe you've heard that this principle came to fulfillment in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Maybe you've heard the principle that It came to fulfillment in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. 
He was the sinless Lamb of God. If Christ had been defiled, had, had been a sinner, had, been, had any flaws whatsoever, His death would have been no better than a goat. The only one who could redeem us from sin had to be sinless, perfect. And Jesus was that sacrifice. Maybe it kind of makes sense, but you still wonder, like, are, are we still supposed to be offering animal sacrifices today? I mean, was Jesus the last sacrifice? How does this all work? Maybe you're still a little confused. Don't raise your hand, but come on, let's be honest. Have you ever felt that way? Like, ah, it's just confusing to me. I'm a pastor and I've felt that way. A little confused sometimes. Yes, Jesus was the last perfect sacrifice. But I want to end this sermon this morning by just making it super, super simple. Jesus cleared up all the confusion, all the muddy water, with two commands that supersede all other commands. If you're confused, wake up right now, okay? If you're confused... Stay focused on what I'm about to say. Stay focused on the two most important commandments. And if you do so, your worship will always be worthy in the eyes of God. So what are the two most important commands? Jesus was asked the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, before you figure out what to give, where to serve, how to help, make sure your heart is right before the Lord. Do you love Him? Do you even know Him? Is He your God? That's where you have to begin. At the end of this first chapter in Malachi, God reminds us that He is a great King. Our King is great, so making His name great is something we get to do. That's the whole point. He says, I'm a great King, says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. I want everyone to know who I am and what I've done. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Master. And we need to give Him our best. Man, it's so simple when we stay focused on those two commands. Love God and love people. When you read further in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was talking to a lawyer of all people. And so he tried to clear it up and he says, so who is my neighbor? He wanted it to just be the guy that lives right next door to him who he gets along with and they can go to Lake Navajo together and fish for the rest of time. That's what that lawyer wanted. But then Jesus went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? Where the Good Samaritan's riding along and he sees this man who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. And he got off his donkey... And He helped that man. And Jesus said, that man is your neighbor. 
Grace, we're not playing church here, man. We're following Jesus. And it's going to get real. It's going to get difficult. We're going to deal with people who have all kinds of struggles and issues. We're going to deal with the people that have been left for dead spiritually. But you need to get off your donkey. And you need to help them. I want you to be a part of what God loves. I want you to be a part of what God does, what God decrees, what God commands. Man, Grace Church, I'm so excited about Jesus. And I'm so excited about the opportunity He's given us to be a part of making His name great among the nations. Give Him your best. Love God and love people. And we have His promise. We have His guarantee that you won't regret it. You won't look back and say, dang it, I wish I wouldn't have given my life to God. I wish I wouldn't have loved people and helped people. And You won't regret it, church. I'm going to end. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. But I'm just going to end by saying, like, this is to the core, of, as your pastor, this is something that kind of haunts me. Because I don't want to stand before God and He says, you know what? Grace Church, your worship to me was worthless. You guys were just playing church. You were just going through the motions. And you showed up every week. You, you sure had a lot of religious busyness. But it was worthless. That haunts me. Father God, we love You. I don't want my worship and I don't want the worship of Grace Church to be worthless. Ah, I want it to be acceptable in Your sight, Father. I just pray that, man, we wouldn't play games with You. That we would be real and authentic and genuine. And Father, that we would give You our best. And once once again, it's not about quantity. It's about the heart. It's about quality. It's about our motivations. Lord, I just pray that I could stand before You. Actually, I'll be on my face in front of You. But I hope to hear You say, Good job, Grace Church. I accepted Your worship because it was real. I accepted it because You gave me Your best. May we give You the respect that You deserve, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.